Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most grisly, the most heinous high-profile homicide cases in Maryland are examined and profiled. This season, season three, relationship murders, or husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend murders are discussed and profiled. On this episode, the female serial killer, Josephine Gray, also known as the Black Widow Killer, is profiled, and the unsolved homicide of 25-year-old transgender Anthony Trent, also known as Tyra Trent, is examined. According to SerialKillerShop.com, There have been around 60 female serial killers in United States history, and Josephine Gray is one that you've probably never even heard of. And you've probably never even heard of her because although she's a cold-blooded, sadistic, evil murderer, she's never been convicted of an actual murder. Described as a very religious, devout churchgoer, Why is it always the Bible-toting, church-going, fake Christians, you know, like her? But she portrayed herself to be this church-going, Bible-current Christian. But her story goes like this. In 1974, 28-year-old Josephine was married to her first husband, 29-year-old Norman Stribling, and she wanted out. She held a menial job as a custodian for the Montgomery County Public School System, and she wasn't trying to go through the more traditional methods of ending a marriage, like getting a divorce. And she discovered the beauty of life insurance. So she went as far as to asking a co-worker to kill her husband, and she offered to pay him $2,000 out of the money she would get from a life insurance policy that she had taken out on Norman's life. The co-worker refused, and Norman reportedly knew that his wife was trying to kill him. According to reports made by his friends and his family, Norman was fully aware that Josephine had a new boyfriend and wanted him completely out of the picture. He knew his life was in danger, and he told his friends and family that while he and Josephine were in bed together one morning, that she pulled out a gun and tried to shoot him in the head. The only thing that saved his life was that the gun misfired. Within weeks of reporting this news to his family, on March 3, 1974, Norman was found shot to death in a parked car outside of the street, out basically on the side of the street on in the 1500 block of River Road in Montgomery County. He had been shot once with a 32 caliber handgun on the right side of his head, 
because of what he had already reported to his friends, his family, and the police. Two weeks after he was killed, both Josephine and her new boyfriend, Robert William Robert Gray, were arrested and charged with Norman's murder. But those same witnesses and friends who said that Norman was so scared of Josephine were scared shitless themselves because they decided not to say nothing and they changed their story because Josephine reportedly practiced witchcraft and voodoo on her enemies. I do not practice no voodoo and I do not practice witchcraft. Just because I go and buy a lucky charm to play the lottery or sometimes buy herbs and drink herbal tea or take olive oil and anoint myself, that's in the Bible. What That's what Josephine commented to reporters when asked about if she practiced witchcraft. But her friends had seen her with their own eyes. They had seen how Josephine once put a spell on Norman that had him scratching his own face uncontrollably until his face was a bloody mess. So without eyewitnesses and nobody willing to come forward with any evidence, Josephine and William both walked. Norman did have a life insurance policy of $16,000 and Josephine applied for that money with the quickness. She got it and eight months after Norman was killed, she married William in November and she used the life insurance money that she got from Norman's death as a down payment on a new home in Gaithersburg, Maryland. After a few years of marriage, she offered to take in and help raise another dude who was supposedly her first cousin. She was supposedly going to set him straight and put him on the right path. But instead of doing that, this lady started fucking her cousin who was 21 years younger than her. This life was way more exciting, way more lucrative for her. And she decided that now William was in the way. And now, like Norman, he had to go. He also knew that she had taken a $100,000 life insurance policy on him. And he started wondering whether that, you know, the same thing could happen to him. Especially since he had helped her kill her first husband. He fully knew what Josephine was capable of. And this man was scared. He was so scared that, like Norman... He also told his friends and family that he was scared for his life and that his wife was trying to kill him. In August of 1990, he couldn't take the fear anymore and he moved out of their house, taking any and everybody, telling anybody and everybody who would listen that his wife was having an affair with her own cousin. He also brought charges against her, telling the police that she and Clarence both came to his job, lunged at him with a knife, and threatened him with a 9mm handgun. He told the police that she had chased him throughout his house with a handgun and a screwdriver, and he had to jump off of a second floor balcony and sprint more than a mile to his parents' home just to get away from her. Later that same day, while he was driving home from the police station, he reported again that he noticed that Josephine was following him home. When he tried to speed off, she pulled up next to him only to have Clarence, who had been leaning back in the passenger seat, lean his seat up to point the same 9mm handgun at him as if to say he could shoot him now at any time that he wanted to. Perhaps because Will William had helped Josephine kill her first husband more than 10 years ago, he was scared shitless of what she could do. 
He even tried to change his life insurance policy several times because he was so scared that he would be killed. After William reported this incident to the police, literally telling the Montgomery County Police Department, I believe I'm going to get killed, the police did issue a warrant for both Clarence's and Josephine's arrest. A week before their trial was due to start, on November the 9th, 1990, William was found shot to death in his apartment in the 1200 block of Great Eagle Court in Germantown. He had been shot once in the chest and once in the neck with a 45 caliber handgun, all before he even had a chance to take his coat off. He still had the detectives investigating his case business card in his pocket. William had only lived at the apartment for less than a week before he was killed. The police arrested Josephine and charged her with William's murder, but because they had no physical evidence linking her to his murder, and because, once again, William's friends and family were reluctant, reluctant and too scared to come forward with any information or any additional evidence whatsoever because of all the voodoo and witchcraft practices and all these rumors and stuff that they heard that Josephine did. So murder charges were eventually dropped again against Josephine and she was released to the public yet again. I just thank God. Jesus Christ had enemies too, so when I follow him, I know I'm going to have enemies, but when I appear here in this courtroom, there were angels all around me, Josephine commented to reporters for the Associated Press once she got released from jail. Once she got out of jail, she moved to collect William's life insurance. As William's sole beneficiary, she received $51,625, and part of his policy paid off the remaining mortgage on her home, which she sold for a nice profit. The whole time, she still lived with Clarence, her kid cousin. Dude couldn't have been too bright. I mean, forget the whole sex incest thing, but Josephine worked her magic and convinced him too to take out a $100,000 life insurance policy on himself, naming his cousin, Josephine, as the sole beneficiary. And after a few years of playing with him, she got bored with him too and got yet another dude to play with. Clarence, like the other two mem the other two men before him, he started feeling like maybe he too could be irreplaceable and possibly next in line to get killed. So, scared for his life, in 1996, Clarence reported to the police that Josephine had beat him and pulled a knife out on him. But before anything was done about it, his body was found on June 21st, 1996 by Baltimore City Police officers stuffed in the trunk of his car parked in the 2300 block of Avalon Avenue in West Baltimore. Clarence had been shot once in the side of his head with a 9mm handgun. He too had told his friends that Josephine was trying to kill him because she had found yet another dude to be with. And again, she tried to cash in on his life insurance that Clarence had. But this time, the feds had been onto her schemes for years. Because of her greed in trying to get his life insurance, he had stopped making the payments and the policy and he had stopped making his payments on the policy and the policy was about to be canceled. 
Josephine was even bold enough to kill Clarence on only a few days before the policy was due to be canceled. And she did this for the sole purpose to get his benefits. Even though the police were onto her, they were onto her games and especially because one of her old friends came forward and told the police that Josephine had confessed to her that she killed all of them. She said she killed Norman because she was tired of his abuse. She said she shot him and left him on the side of the road in his car and then she tried to make his murder look like a robbery that had gone wrong. And because Clarence allegedly started blackmailing her for more money because she had because he had helped her kill William, he was killed. Now, William was killed simply for his life insurance and she flat out may want she didn't want to have nothing to do with him no more. Even after the police searched her home and found a large blood stain on her concrete garage floor, they found cleaning stuff next to the stain and blood inside of a commercial vacuum cleaner that was next to the stain, they never brought murder charges against her for Clarence for Clarence's murder because they decided to get her on federal insurance fraud charges and they were going to they were going to make her do the maximum sentence of 40 years for that. So while they built their case against Josephine, she went about her merry way and did what she did best. She eventually got $90,000 in Clarence's life insurance money, while his young son only got $10,000 of it. After Clarence was killed, take a wild guess, what you think she did? That's right, she moved on to another young dude. The cops were done, and by the time they caught up to this dude, and they talked to him, he was convinced that he had truly been dating a serial killer, especially when he told them that Josephine had promised him a new Mustang GT that she was gonna pay for some of, pay for using some of Clarence's life insurance money. Damn, her new boyfriend got spooked and he started working with the police to get her arrested. Eventually, Josephine was arrested and charged with insurance fraud and not murder. Even from jail, she called her new boyfriend and warned him that he better take the fifth when he was called to testify against her. On August the 16th, 2002, after a trial that lasted three weeks, Josephine was convicted by a federal jury in Greenbelt, Maryland on all counts of mail and wire fraud and for intentionally causing the deaths of William and Clarence. At her sentencing hearing on December the 2nd, 2002, before the judge sentenced her to the maximum sentence of 40 years of federal time with no parole, her lawyer gave a statement that read, she maintains her innocence and gives her faith in God as a higher power who knows she has committed no offense or done anything wrong. Wow, y'all, I mean, wow. She appealed that 40-year sentence, and on August 7, 2006, another judge resentenced the, the mother of six and grandmother of 11, again, to the maximum of 40 years. Basically, the hope is that she dies in prison, another reason why they didn't waste time on trying to get a murder conviction. Sheesh, now, Josephine case is notorious in Maryland simply because as far as I know and I've been researching murderers and criminals in Maryland for a long long time we have we don't have a, we didn't 
as far as I know, we don't have a female serial killer. Or we've never had a female serial killer in Maryland. Males, yes, but a female serial killer? Especially one that committed the crimes herself? I mean, there was Geraldine Parrish, but she was like a Manson. You know, she didn't do the crimes like, you know, she didn't commit the crimes herself. She was the mastermind behind it. But for someone that actually committed the actual murder, then, you know, we don't usually have, uh, we don't have a female serial killer that I know of. Uh, she didn't get that much attention because, like I said, once again, she, uh, Josephine was never really convicted of murder per se, but more so the fraud of the life insurance that her actions resulted in the deaths of these three men, but not necessarily a murder conviction, which is really weird. Basically, they just wanted her to fry in prison. They don't care how she, she got there. They wanted to get her on something and... They wanted to get something that stuck. Um, I mean, I just don't understand how it could be so hard to convict her on murder charges, especially since, you know, they had evidence of the blood being found in the garage, the life insurance policies. Forget about the testimony of friends and family saying that the victims felt like their life was in danger. Forget about that. And I mean, I don't understand why that was not able to stick with building a case against her. That's weird to me. Um, I just feel like the detectives didn't do, they didn't work hard enough to obtain evidence, but, hmm, that's weird. Um, I profiled Josephine Gray's case on the Oxygen True Crime show, on the Oxygen Network called True Crime, and, because I had been approached several times about profiling this case, but each time I was approached, you know, I was all ready for it, but, uh, in order to conduct a proper interview uh the producers had to interview her friends and family and witnesses and people like you know uh fram- friends and family of the victims each and this is i've been approached several times throughout the years each time i've gotten uh the chance to try to profile and talk about this case um the families and friends have always backed out because they were spooked and feared because of the voodoo allegations. They were scared they were going to get hexes put on them. They were scared even though, and this is all from uh, Josephine being locked up. This is all after she was behind bars and everything. They were still scared to come forward. Still, uh, you know, believing that she was going to put hex out on them. That, you know, she was possessed and the witchcraft and all of that. They were terrified to come forward. Um, That episode airs in the spring of 2022. I will keep you guys updated and posted as to when that episode does air on the Oxygen Network. But I'm glad that eventually some of the family and friends did decide to come forward and speak up on their family's behalf about what she did to them and how ruthless this woman was. I mean... um, even though she has 40 years and when she got sentenced she was 55 years old man anything could happen anything could happen she could still be released one day you know these type of killers outlive everybody you know she will live forever um and what was up with the dudes you know she used each one of her current lovers or boyfriend or husband to kill the previous lover. So why would they not think that one day they could be in line? 
You see what I'm saying? That's a little weird how they didn't feel that the same way they they helping her get rid of a body or kill a body or whatever. And especially for the reasons that she's was providing for their life insurance or they did this or they did that. What makes you think that you could not have been different? Hmm. Now, she was ruthless. This lady was a grandmother. She had 11 grandkids and she had six children. And towards the end of, you know, her, uh, her life before she got locked up, she ran a daycare center out of her home for 11 years around kids. And she was a cold blooded murderer, a cold blooded murderer. I've never written to Josephine because I believe I'll get a, a letter full of lies. She is in a federal prison. The last I checked, she was in Kentucky somewhere. Um, like I said, I do believe she'll be released one day. Just because she got those 40 years, I do believe she will be released one day. I don't think she'll die in prison. And when she do, y'all better watch out because she will strike again. For this season, season three, each unsolved homicide will profile a victim who was transgender. While conducting my research on unsolved homicide victims in Maryland, I was completely shocked, completely in awe at the number of transgender victims where absolutely no investigation was done, no investigating, no questioning of witnesses, no questioning of family members, no questioning of friends, nothing. People just assumed, oh, this person was killed because they was tricking or they was living a double life or they was this, they was that. Even so, even if that were true, every victim deserves justice. Every person with a beating heart in their chest deserves justice. Every member of their victim's family deserves justice and they deserve answers. They don't, they should not have to go through life wondering what happened to their loved one. You know, so for this season, season three, the spotlight on all of the unsolved homicides that are profiled, the victims were transgender. On this episode, the unsolved strangulation murder of 25-year-old Anthony Trent, who also was known as Tyra, is profiled. On a frigid cold morning of February 19th, 2011, a man who had been looking for his dog that was missing came across a body instead. 25-year-old Anthony Trent, also known as Tyra, had been reported missing by her family two weeks before her body was found in the basement of a vacant row home in the 3300 block of Virginia Avenue in Northwest Baltimore. The row home is just one of hundreds that is owned by the city of Baltimore that's just sitting there collecting dust, an eyesore for the neighborhood, boarded up. It took two days to officially identify Tyra's body because she was found with no identification, no cell phone, nothing to really identify who she was. And according to an autopsy, Tyra had been asphyxiated or basically choked to death. Tyra, who had struggled with drug addiction, was well known in the lower area of Charles Village, known as the Stroll. 
where a lot of transgenders are well known to work in that area, tricking or prostituting. And Tyra had been arrested and convicted several times for prostitution and loitering. Because of the drugs and the lifestyle she led, Tyra was known to leave the home that she shared with her mother for a few days at a time, but she always came back home. When she didn't come back after leaving out one Sunday night, her family reported her missing, especially because they constantly feared for her safety as she was often attacked just because of the way she looked. Described as being a very vibrant and bold person who loved animals, she loved to dance, loved to do hair. Tyra worked with people who had disabilities, but was in the process of formally changing her name. And she was working towards obtaining her GED and going to nursing school. He was a very bold person. He wasn't scared to show or flaunt his lifestyle. People told him all the time, if this is the way you want to live, we can't stop you. But be careful. Watch yourself. Most city guys, guys who grew up in Baltimore, they don't like that. He was so upset and hurt that people can't accept his lifestyle. It made me angry. This is what Tyra's cousin commented to the Baltimore Sun. He had, he had his problems like we all do, but he had a really good heart. Yes, he did. That's what his mother said. That's what her mother said. The whole transgender community is at risk. We don't have the economical foundation set up for us to... We don't have the, fact, the same foundation set up for us transgender people. We can't go into jobs without being discriminated against. And it's really hard for individuals to be themselves and have a way of living. Sometimes they end up doing wild things to survive and they end up in dangerous situations. This is what the director of Trans United said in a comment to the Baltimore Sun. Look, people, look, look. Let's, let's, just, let's just put it out there. This is yet another murder of an individual that needs to be solved. Regardless of the lifestyle they, she led, regardless of whatever, you know, you still can't go around just killing people because you feel like it. You know, cops have zero leads. They have zero interest, really. It's just seems like they have really no interest at all in getting these types of murder solved or getting it any type of attention, let alone a thorough investigation. They feel like they're not going to waste their time, obviously. I mean, if you have any information or any information at all that can lead to an arrest or conviction in this unsolved homicide, please do not hesitate to pick up the phone and call detectives at 410-396-2100 or 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can also submit a tip online at www.metrocrimestoppers.org or you can submit a text to 443-902-4824. You can remain anonymous, people. Surely, surely somebody has to know something. You know, you know, people always say, oh, maybe she was tricking and, you know, maybe that's what they deserve. You shouldn't be living a lie, blah, blah, blah. What about the person that's going around looking for tricks? What about you? You going around 
buying sex. So why should you, like, ju- you judging somebody else, but you're going around paying for paying for sex, basically. So how is that any better than the person that's tricking? I, I never understood that. But anyway, surely somebody has to know something. Somebody got to know something. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling bizarre episodes. Also, please be sure to check out all of the true crime books that are related to this podcast entitled Marilyn's Most Notorious Murderous 1990-2008, Marilyn's Unsolved Homicides Volume 1, and the upcoming release Marilyn's Most Notorious Murders 2009-2020. All of these books, as well as my other true life books, are all available on Amazon.com. Be sure to tune in next week where another high-profile homicide will be profiled and examined on Marilyn's Most Notorious Murders. This has been a real-life production.